Pastor, would you come? And uh, But just one more announcement before we close and go downstairs. I want to make sure that everybody has an understanding of how we're going to operate things downstairs today. Okay. It's not going to be a free-for-all. Maybe for you. Food fight. <laughs> no, no, no food fight. Come on now. <laughs> well, we'll just make that announcement. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, all right. We're going to go back to the book of Joshua. I'm sure that this time of the year, the last of the year, and the beginning of the year, a lot of preachers... Look to the book of Joshua to be an encouragement and a charge and a challenge to the congregations. And uh, while you're turning to Joshua there, uh, there's just so many folks to thank for their support over the years. And uh, God has always provided the things that we needed along the way from a pianist to a music leader, someone who can sing and teach and preach. So look at uh, all the people that God has brought here to Calvary over the years. Looking back at some of the pictures, and we've forgotten, unfortunately, we've forgotten a few names along the way because it's been so long. But uh, nonetheless, it's been a real blessing, and we thank God for the group he's got here today. Well, we've been uh, already read, uh, Brother A.J. led us in Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Our key verse is verse 15. And it says, And as they that bear the ark were coming to Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. When I read this portion of scripture, I'm reminded that when Peg and I stood on the banks of the Jordan River, I was not so impressed with the width of the river. I think to myself, anybody who could run fast enough, leap high enough, could just jump over it. Now, that may not have been the case in some places, but when we stood there by the Jordan River and they said that they believe that this is the point where Israel came over, I'm saying, okay, okay. <laughs> but the Bible said it overflowed its banks. Now, if that is all the information that one has to gauge the authenticity of a million or more Jewish people crossing the Jordan River, one might wonder what all the to-do historically was about. But then I have never been in that region when the snows had melted and the seasonal rains would come. However, in Vermont, Vermont has seen two massive floods in just a matter of six months or so. The Lamoille River is about 100 yards from Jordan's house, our third oldest grandson. And uh, the river didn't look all that threatening when it was in its banks. When it was in, its, in fact, it didn't look all that threatening because it was in its riverbed. Then you add heavy and steady rains for several days and a large number of tributaries on either occasion and uh, whether a hundred or more yards from the river and you either have instant lakefront property or you are in the lake, then you begin to realize that things can change pretty quickly. And as you look out on the river, you turn into a huge lake, and the current is swift. You witness all sorts of debris from propane tanks to parts of buildings floating by. You realize how treacherous things can be. And so the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. 
It was not by coincidence that God had Israel where he had them at that time of the year and at that appointed time of the Jordan River overflowing its banks. The whole wilderness wanderings were an important time of learning to trust God. Now I'm wondering what some of us have been through in 2023 that were appointments from God to teach us some life-changing lessons about trusting God. Because it's one thing to say, I trust God. It's another thing to put on your coinage, trusting God. But to step out and to trust God, sometimes that's a little bit different, isn't it? And so I am wondering what some of us have been through in 2023, which were appointments from God to teach us some life-changing lessons. And we see here that Israel had begun their journey through the wilderness by passing through the Red Sea as it parted. That's how they began. And gave them access towards the promised land. And now we find Israel, albeit a new generation, about to leave the wilderness behind by crossing over an angry Jordan spilling over its banks. And finally into the promised land. It was time to see the metal of their faith and to get their feet wet. Steps that we need to take if our crossing over into 2024 is going to be a success. Father, I want you to guide and direct as we look to the message today. Lord, you know who saved, who is not. Lord, you know who is living for you and who is not. But Lord, only you know the true nature of the heart. We pray that you work accordingly through your word and through your Holy Spirit to guide and direct our thought and our attention because Lord, I'm sure that the devil is going to try to distract us in any way he can. But Lord, may our hearts be stayed on you today for you to guide us and you to direct us. Lord, you know what we're going to face. We, have, we may have some idea, but Lord, there may be some things that are going to be a real big surprise for us in 2024. But Lord, they're never a surprise to you. And so we pray today that you guide and direct. And as you guide and direct, the Lord, prepare our hearts to make choices, to make decisions today that will make a difference in whatever it is that you have planned in our pathway for the year of 2024. And Father, we'll give you the praise, we'll give you the honor, and we'll give you the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at several steps today. We're going to probably only look at two. And step number one, we find in Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it's the exhortation. In chapter 3, looking at verses 3 and 4, and it says, And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the, of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest of the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from thence, I'm sorry, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yea, there shall be a space between you and it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. So what is an exhortation? It is not a word that we typically use today. Sometimes we say, you see that paddle on the wall? <laughs> that becomes an exhortation sometimes. <laughs> Hand me your phone. You're not going to, you, you've been grounded for a week or so. But it is a good solid word that means instruction. And more in hand is the idea of, of an address or a communication emphatically. Urging someone to do something. In Joshua chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4, God is 
giving explicit, not implied, but explicit instructions of what and why in these two verses he wants them to do what he is asking them to do or what he is telling them to do. Now altogether there are, there are too many times that we think God is being implicit or that God is simply suggesting something when he is actually being explicit. He wants us to know exactly what he wants us to do. And if you take it for a suggestion, you're going to miss out on the blessings that God has in store. So in these two verses, God is being explicit or God is stating clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. This is what I want you to do. And so, this is true about salvation too, isn't it? God is not implicit, he is explicit. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's explicit. Not of works, that's explicit. Lest any man should boast. So we are saved by grace, through faith, that not of ourselves. And not only there, we also find in Romans 10, 3, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, And whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, God's pretty explicit about these things. So in our two verses, God is being very specific with his charge and the reasons he gives. The charge is this, that when the Ark of the Covenant moved forward, they were to follow. Interesting about the word follow. If you're leading, you're not following. And if you're following, you're not leading. Amen. And so the charge was when the Ark of the Covenant moved forward, they were to follow. And like Israel, we're to follow God. Not lead God, but we're to follow him. And you got an entire book of books called a Bible. God gives us directions. Job writes, or I'm sorry, John, John writes in chapter 10 and verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, they follow me. So when we can only do this if we are in the word of God, that's the only time we can do that. You know, if you're not in the word of God, gleaning information and knowledge from the Word of God, then you're not following God. You may have your own ideas. You may have your own thoughts, what might constitute following God. Maybe something you heard at some place or at some time, or maybe thoughts upon your pillow. You said, well, if I do this, then God would be pleased with this or that or the other thing along the way. But we can only follow God if we're in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, and applying the Word of God to our lives and our lives to the word. So we have to apply ourselves to the reading and the meditating and the studying. Then we have to apply that to our lives. Or our lives to it, I should say. And so the second charge that we find there is also that they were to keep their distance of 2,000 cubits or about, about 1,000 yards. Now, there could be a number of reasons other than the one that God stated here. But I believe one thing is that he was going to make sure that they were following and not leading. Trying to figure out where the ark is going to go. 
And so, I know my wife is going to love this. But God gives his reasons, though he is never under any obligation to do so. God is sovereign. He didn't have to tell us. And he can do as he pleases. And Psalm 46 and verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Joshua 3, 4 is a command. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in all the earth. Now, our tendency is to get ahead of God, isn't it? Is to get ahead of God and like Judge Judy. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Who she warns the individuals to whom are in her courtroom. Plaintiff or defendant doesn't make any difference. And it seems like they're beginning to try to lead her in a direction they want her to go. So they'll have the outcome that they desire. And she will do that. Don't try to figure out where I'm going to go because you don't know where I'm going to go. <laughs> well, we don't always know where God's going to go. We don't always know where God's going to lead. But I'll guarantee you, if you're surrendered and submitted, he will lead you and he will guide you. The command, as it is in the imperative, is a command to follow. And if one is following the Lord, he can't get ahead of him. Amen. You can't get ahead of someone you follow. And so God says as much in verse 4b. He said the safest, place, the safest place to be is where God wants us to be. Amen. Not in front of him. It's following him. And so when he says my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We're to be following the Lord. Not your whim here, your whim there or this thought or that thought or what you heard here what you heard over there. Back whatever you hear out there with the word of God. And if it doesn't make sense with the word of God, then chuck it overboard and keep the word of God. You'll never go wrong. And you say, so preacher, if following God is the safest place, where is the most dangerous place for a believer to be? Ahead of God. Getting ahead of God is the most dangerous place to be. Now, we don't have to look any further than Abraham and Sarah who got ahead of God. God made them a promise. God never breaks a promise. Never ever has God ever broken a promise. And he told Abraham that he and Sarah would have a son. Now he didn't open up the calendar, make an appointment, make a date and say, this is when it's going to happen, this is what's going to take place. He said, you're going to have a son. And the Bible says there, in, in, I believe in Genesis, that they said that Abraham believed God and it was counted to Abraham for righteousness. But they became impatient, and Sarah became impatient because of the faith. I mean, she's already 70-some years old. I can't, my wife is, yeah, she does not want children at this point in her life. <laughs> and I'm sure that most of the women in here are in the same boat. Listen, you, you've raised your families, and as for the young uns, and uh, well, we just, we, we just want to kind of grow old and pass off into eternity with the Lord, amen? And so... When we look at Abraham and Sarah, they said, well, maybe this is, one, that's a very dangerous position to be in. Not only ahead of God, but maybe God. You wait until God answers. You wait until God provides. And God will be clear in his leadership and he will tell you exactly when is the right time. 
They became impatient. They got ahead of the Lord. And that decision is still a thorn in the Middle East to this very day. Almost 6,000 years of human history. And that fatal decision. I could go back even further to, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But you, 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 you don't make good decisions when you get ahead of God. So if one does not understand the biblical history on this, they will never be able to understand the Middle East nor figure a way to solve it. For only God can solve the problems in the Middle East. He has a plan. And the plan will come to fruition. And there is nothing that anybody can do until God moves in that whole situation. So the first step this morning is God's exhortation from which we can glean important and godly lessons to apply to our lives. Number one, discover from God's word what he wants us to do and how he wants it done. Don't get ahead of God. Follow close by walking in the light as he is in the light. And then secondly, step number two. Know God's expectation. First of all, know God's exhortation, then God's expectation. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonder, wonders among you. Now, you, you, know, you know why Joshua told them to sanctify themselves? Because God told Joshua to tell the people. Yeah. Amen. And so Joshua did exactly what God told him to do. He told the people, sanctify yourselves. Now, we somehow have this idea that how we choose to live our lives has no bearing on what God can do in and through our lives. Well, you're wrong. Nowhere is that ever given to us in the scriptures, that how we choose to, to live our lives, that God's somehow going to still use us, even if it's not as, as God would have us to do. Now, I believe that God can't get any clearer than he does in this verse about how important it is for us to be fit vessels for the master's use. Think about that. Fit vessels for the master's use. Now, if, 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 I, if I used one of my wife's glass pitchers and I used it to go outside and to change the oil in my engine, <laughs> first of all, she wouldn't be really happy. But if I brought it in and I started to make some Kool-Aid in that, how many are you going to drink it? Well, first of all, it's not a fit vessel. Unless you want to lubricate your insides. That's neither here nor there. But be that as it may. Here's the reality. We're asking God so oftentimes, and I believe he can't use us as we are, but he would rather use us as he wants us to be. And as we can be and as we should be. Because that's where wonders begin to take place. Because that's what he said, sanctify yourself. Because he said, I'm going to do wonders tomorrow. And he said, I want you to be a prepared people for those wonders. And that can be a real big problem in America today, isn't it? Among Christians. God can't do the wonders that he wants to do because God's people are not as fit as they ought to be. And I thank God for those who are. But I don't believe that's the case of the vast majority. And I'm thanking God for those who are fit vessels and you work at it on a day-to-day -day basis. But in verse 5, we see the command of God to Israel was to sanctify, he said, yourselves. And again, we see the what that is to be done. And in the same verse, the why it is to be done. 
They were to sanctify themselves, which means to consecrate themselves to God. God's desires were to become their desires. God's will was to become their will. That's what you do when you sanctify yourself. Jesus prayed that prayer in, uh, in uh, John chapter 17, I believe verse 17. Where Jesus prayed that, he would, that, that, that we would be sanctified. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so in this modern day and age, if we're going to sanctify ourselves, then we've got to get in the word of God and make application of our lives to the word of God. And in that process, we become vessels fit for the master's use. So they were to sanctify themselves. It's the idea that as human vessels, they would do what God required of them to make themselves fit vessels for the master's use. Now, in 2 Timothy 2.15 says what? Study. And you know what that word, that word is in the present tense, active voice, and it's also what? Imperative. It's a command, it's an absolute necessity. And it reveals that the word of God is indispensable. In our lives. Study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 19 through 21. Turn this turn now. I want you to see that. Because it's not one that we use very often. But we should. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy... Beginning of verse 19, this is what Paul, oh, I'm sorry, I get the wrong one here. It must be first, what did I do there? There is no 19. Oh, it's in the wrong chapter, I'm sorry. There we go, make it Sorry. Uh, it says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth. It standeth sure. There is nothing the devil can do to change it. There is nothing that all of humanity Throughout all the ages, nothing they can do because the foundation of God stands sure. Because on it says this, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Iniquity is as simple as being contrary. Rather than fully surrendered, fully yielded, it's about being contrary. He says, but in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and, uh, and some to honor and, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. Mm, isn't that good? And prepared unto every good work. Oh, preacher, I'm doing good works. You know what, when we do the works that God calls us, then they're just not only good, they're gooder. <laughs> okay. I'm just seeing everybody's paying attention. <laughs> but the works that matter in eternity are the works that God calls us to do. Whatever I have built in my life, as horrible as, horrible as it oftentimes looks, it's staying here. 
But the things that God leads me and guides me to build under his auspice are the things that will go into eternity. They're the things that have weight and value. And so this was God's plan for Israel if they would sanctify themselves. Because when you cross over that Jordan River and you go into that promised land, I want you to magnify me and to glorify me before all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. They need to know that there is a God in this world because they have been godless, they have been satanic, they have done human sacrifices, sacrificed babies. I mean, they were just a, just a, a wretch of people. As far as sin, but you know what? God still loved them. He gave them every opportunity. And if you know your Bible, then the Bible says that he warned Israel, listen, if I have removed them for their sin, I will remove you for your sin. And so, in Joshua chapter 3, as we get ready to close here, in that last part of uh, 5b, he said, For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. <clears throat> In other words, God wanted to, to, to be able to do wonders. Wonders or, or, or a, a thing beyond their power. Be able to do something beyond their ability. Things that they could not normally do. And so supernatural, divine in nature. It is how God is magnified. It is how he is glorified. Jesus stated this truth in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, where he says, let your light so shine before men, that they may what? Pat you on the back. They might give you kudos. No. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify God. Because the works that they see you do are the works that God has enabled you to do, that you would not normally do. And so our lives do not glorify God in the way that he desires unless we're doing that for which he has saved us. It is why Jesus stated in John 15 verses 1 to 8. I want you to look it up. I'm not going to go there because we don't have the time to do that. But I do want us to at least note verses 5 and 8 in the Gospel of John chapter 15. Just looking at verse 5. Verse 5 says, I am the vine. You're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth much fruit. Uh, uh, for without me you can do nothing. He's talking about their being in harmony. Being in harmony with the Lord. Knowing what God wants. Knowing what Jesus Christ wants. And then doing it and fulfilling it. But verse 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So the greatest thing that we can do in the Lord is not only to walk in obedience, but to, to win souls for him. So the question, are you abiding in Christ? Now, I don't mean simply saved. I mean abiding in, living in absolute harmony with the Lord Jesus Christ. As he walked in obedience to the Father, are we in pursuit of the same? Walking in obedience. Now, if you've got to say, well, I think so, I'm going to tell you then you don't know so. And you can know so by getting in the Word of God. Because if you're doing what God says in the Bible, then you know you're doing what God wants you to do. So, we'll pick up with some more points on this same portion of Scripture here next week. Things, I think, steps we need to take if this year, 2024, is going to be a success. Before, before we get 
on the way and we get into some bad habits. Again, <laughs> some good ones along the way. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. And Lord, as we prepare now for the communion service, won't you guide and direct here as well? Lord, uh, we're so thankful for our salvation today. Uh, Lord, none of us would be here. And Lord, I would never have had the privilege of, of working with or, or knowing some of the most wonderful people here in the state of Vermont. Lord, they've been a blessing over the years. Lord, they have worked alongside uh, in the harvest. And Lord, I know that I am not the only one who's going to stand before that beam of seed of believers and receive, hopefully, perfectly a well done. But Lord, these are the people that you have brought here. And we work together. We share in the work. We share in the fruit. We share in the blessings. And Lord, we're looking forward to that day. But Lord, won't you guide and direct so that each and every one here today knows and clearly understands exactly what your expectation of us is. Because Lord, at some point, we are going to stand there. It's either well done or woe is me. Heads about nine o'clock, you say, preacher, pray for me in closing today. I do want my life to count. I want my life to be a good accounting before the Lord. Preacher, would you pray for me today? Yes, I see hands here and hands there. At home, folks, you can do the same. Raise your hands here today. Because we are going to stand before him. And folks, trust me. I don't think any of us are ever going to want to have to disappoint the Lord. Through the way we lived our lives here. Maybe this way saying, Preacher, I don't really know if I've got a home in heaven. So, Preacher, would you pray for me in closing today? That my eyes would be open as I understand what I need to do in accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'd be glad to meet with you after the service today. Show you from Scripture exactly how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That if you were to die right now, that you got a home in heaven. So, Father, we pray now that you guide and direct. We go into the communion service. And, Lord, may we use this time wisely as we allow the Spirit of God to move on us. To guide us and direct us for things that we have uh, been dis... Areas we have been disobedient and have been willing to make uh, right with you, but Lord, that we would do that. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Brother Tom and Steve and AJ, if you could come. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in Paul's speaking, uh, well, I'm going to give you the warning first because there's a warning here that he says that we are to examine. It says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. <clears throat> Lord, your broken body on the cross, and Lord, we're so indebted to you and so 